As you know, we're in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, we're learning how to live as kingdom of God people in a world that is running from God. And we're learning how to be prepared for the kingdom that is coming that we're going to be participating in. Uh, depending upon what we have done with our gifts here, we'll determine our status in that kingdom or our position or what we do there. There's some discussion about that. But this week, we're talking about Pontius Pilate. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, and he's going to be having six illegal trials. And we already saw the first three, and now he's before Pilate, and then he'll go to Herod, and then he'll go to Pilate again for the three political uh, trials. But Pilate is going to be indecisive. Pilate is going to ignore the evidence. Pilate is going to be culpable for what he does. Even though he washes his hands of the situation, he is still responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, as well as all of us, by the way. So the title of this one is Indecisive, Ignoring the Evidence. We're in Matthew 27, verse 11 through 26. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing the multitude, to the multitude, one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should Asked for Barabbas and destroyed Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of God. Our Father, we are truly thankful today, thankful people that the Lord Jesus went to a cross, suffered immensely on our behalf, died, was buried, and rose again victorious over the grave so that we could live with him forever. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you for what the cross means to us, what the resurrection means to us. I thank you for this time that we can gather together and worship our King the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord Jesus be glorified in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The theme of Matthew, as you know, is Jesus is the promised king. The king will be coming one day. Jesus has an appointment with destiny. He's going to the cross. It was determined before the world that Jesus would die for the sins of the world 
on the cross. And by the way, you have a destiny. One of these days, you'll be leaving here in some way, shape, or form. What are you going to do with Jesus while you're here? That's always the question. Now, the events that led up to the crucifixion, as you know, were before the foundation of the world. This was a plan of God from eternity past. But by the way, Peter's denial, Judas' betrayal, Jesus' death were all before the foundation of the world. Hear this scripture. It's Acts 2.23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Let that word just, just indelibly imprint in your mind. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. That word foreknowledge is significant in theology. And it mean, and the word is prognosis. When you go to a doctor, you get a prognosis. You've heard me say this before. They make some sort of guess as to how your disease is going to, what the outcome is going to be. But it's actually the word prognosis. Pro means before. Gnosis is to know. To know beforehand. Now, I have an overhead here, and now we've been through this concept before, so this will not be new to you, but it is an important concept. And it is this. God is timeless. God is outside of our time-space dimension. The past, the present, and the future are all one with God. God is here. God is here. God is here. Time is something for us. God transcends his creation he is outside of time. He knows the beginning and the end. We call him the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end of the Greek, Greek alphabet. Now, God is orchestrating everything that goes on. Everything that goes on, particularly this crucif crucifixion. Now, remember, Jesus was determined to die for the sins of the world, pre-world. He came here for a specific purpose. Now, you know what that purpose was, to seek and to save the lost and to destroy the works of the devil. Those were the two reasons that Jesus came. Now, when I get from this is that I know that no matter how desperate things looked, and believe me, the cross looked desperate. It looked like an absolute failure. I mean, all the disciples ran. All of them wanted to just give up and not, not follow Jesus anymore because he was dying on the cross. But, oh, it was the resurrection that brought the victory, and Jesus is alive. God is in full control, and you must realize that today, as our world is catapulting off a cliff of out-of-controlledness, God is in control. Nothing is out of control. You must remember that as you go through. Now, I had this sitting here for a reason, <laughs> and I forgot to mention it. If you don't have one of these... You'll need one at the end of the service. This is our communion stuff. So anyway, that's your belated reminder. Now this week, Jesus is going to be handed over to an indecisive, ignoring the evidence, Pilate. Now I want to give you a little bit of introduction about Pilate. You've heard a lot about him through different sermons that we've done in the past. But every word commentary enlightens us a little bit more on this. Despite his enormous proven ability as a leader, Pilate was indecisive as Christ stood before him. He knew Christ was innocent, for he saw no evil in him. Yet he had to tread carefully with the Jewish authorities, lest he fall into their disfavor. If they reported him to Rome, he could lose his position and his wealth. 
very concerning for Pilate. Pilate stands to this day as a picture of those who know what is right, but lack the courage and the strength to do it. Now, folks, we have people in our world today that know what is right, but lack the courage and strength to do what is right. They go along to get along. We don't want to be that way. Indecisive, ignoring the evidence. Verse 11 through 14, it starts out with, Pilate marveled at Jesus. Verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor. He's right where the chief priest and the elders and the Pharisees want him. Before Pilate, who they want to say, guilty, death. And the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Great question. And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Now again, it's the chief priests and elders are before Pilate, not the whole crowd. This is a kind of a private setting here. It's not the whole crowd just yet. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? That's the chief priest and the elders. But he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate asked a simple question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers succinctly, it is as you say. John gives us more information on this. John chapter 18 verse 35 says this, Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus responds this way, and Pilate needed to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. My kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now we have a question that we have to answer. What did Jesus mean? My kingdom is not of this world. And I think the answer is this. Jesus' kingdom is not related to this world's kingdoms, which are run by Satan, who is the king of lies. You remember our picture of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Toes, Ten-Nation Confederation. Started out with Egypt and Assyria. There were seven kingdoms that, that ruled. These were all from the world system, all run by Satan. Every world kingdom is under the control of the God of this age. Two times in the book of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the God of this age or the God of this ruler of this world or the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's called the God of this age. Now, what does the God of this age do? He blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. He's a blinder. The blinders have to be removed from someone's before they can believe. All Gentile kingdoms, let me say this again, from the beginning of time until today are run by the kingdom of darkness with the world's values, with the world view that they see the world through their eyes, a non-biblical worldview that is the antithesis of who Jesus and who God is. That's the world system. Jesus will inform Pilate about what his kingdom is all about. And that kingdom is all about the truth. The truth. And we've emphasized this many, many times over the past week. weeks. John 18, 37 and 38 say this. Pilate therefore said to him, you, Are you a king then? 
Jesus answered, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. And then he makes this statement. This is a seminal statement. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, when we look over this room, I would imagine that most of you are believers. Some of you are not. You may think you're believers. Not everybody in here is a believer. That's just how it is. But those who have really believed have heard the truth, have opened their heart, and have received Jesus as their Savior. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus is contrasting Satan's rule with Christ's rule. It's all about the truth. And I don't know if you remember this, but in John 8, 44, Jesus talks to the Pharisees. And he says to them, point blank, mano a mano. I mean, Jesus held nothing back in dealing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those who were the religious elitists trying to keep people from him. And this really irritated Jesus. He says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he, when he speaks, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. A liar and the father of lies. That is what we are dealing with today in, in, in this battle for truth. Pilate asked a profound question that we must ask, what is truth? And Pilate is actually standing before the truth, asking, the, asking this question, what is truth? Now, Pilate's going to be affected by the masses. He's not going to care what the truth is by the time this whole thing gets done. But he does say something very significant at the beginning of these trials, his first trial. He says, I find no fault in him. Pilate was speaking the truth. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention this over and over so we indelibly have it imprinted in our minds. We inculcate, teach by repetition. Truth. Truth. What is it defined as? That which is. That which really is. Not that which is made up in the mind of a person. Folks, there is something called objective truth. Actual, real truth. Now, who establishes truth? God does. God does. God. It's the Godhead that does. It's not whimsical. There's a word capricious. It's whimsical. It means whimsical, impulsive, unpredictable, erratic. It's not capricious humanity that determines the truth. It is God who determines the truth. With humans, truth is fluid. It changes. As the mores or the morals of a person change, or the mores or the values of a nation change, the truth changes. With humans, truth is fluid. Now, listen to this. There's some extreme examples of truth. Hitler's truth was that all Jews are subhuman and must be killed. Putin's truth is Ukraine belongs to me. Hamas's truth, Hezbollah's truth, is wipe out Israel. Drug cartels, their truth is drugs are great. Drugs are terrific. Drugs are going to make me rich. China's truth is Taiwan belongs to us. You must realize we are living in enemy-held territory. I hope you realize that. 
You are a remnant living in enemy-held territory where untruths and lives prevail as the norm. It's the norm. The world system is not a friend of God. The world system is not a friend of the Lord Jesus. And guess what? The world system is not a friend of you, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you who you are. You are armed with the truth, and you are a formidable enemy of the lie. Now remember Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies. That's what we are called to. We are called to be truth speakers in a culture of lies. Erwin Lutzer wrote, we will not be silenced. We are going to use our truth in the culture around us. In your family, there's a battle in your family for the truth. There's a battle at your work for the truth. There's a battle in the culture for the truth. Everywhere you go, there's a battle for the truth. And your mission is to speak the truth. Now, with that stated, we are not to be indecisive nor ignore the evidence but we are to speak the truth in how? Love. Love. Now, how do we do this? How do we speak the truth in the culture? Now, the Scripture tells us, and we've been to this Scripture many times. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-4. through 4. Watch what it says. You are familiar with these words. Paul to Timothy, I charge you therefore. This is to you also. God is speaking to Timothy through Paul, and he's speaking to us through the Spirit of God, I charge you, body of Christ, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing at his second coming and his kingdom. And then this is the word, preach, caruso, herald the truth of the word, be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? That means when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. There's going to be multiple times when you're called the witness for Christ and you're just not going to feel like it. You go, oh, Lord, really? Right now I have to talk to this person? I don't feel like talking. In season, out of season, be ready. Be ready to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, you know doctrine is teaching. Teaching. They won't endure sound teaching. People don't want biblical teaching today. They want their ears tickled. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll go find teachers that tell them what they want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Fables. Now, what is a fable? a false viewpoint, a make-believe statement, a lie, a lie. That is what a fable is. Our culture that you're living in today, that we are living in today, is full of half-truths, innuendo, and blatant lies. And I would suggest to you, as believers in the Lord Jesus, it is not easy to stand for the truth by yourself. It is not easy, but we are called to stand for the truth. And we must not be indecisive in standing for the truth, wondering if I should say something, wondering if I should play it safe. So many of us want to play it safe and not stir up the waters. It's easier to be a chameleon and to just blend than to get into the foray, get into the, get into the mess and start expressing, no, no, this is what, consider this, this is what God says. This is what God says about this issue. 
That's what we are to bring to the forefront. Follow the master. Jesus was decisive. Now remember this. Remember who you are. You are the Holy Spirit-filled church. You are called the remnant. That small number of people that God is using today to disseminate the truth to the culture. That is who you are. You are called the remnant in Scripture. You are called the restrainer. You're restraining what? What does the restrainer restrain? Evil. Evil in the world by speaking the truth. Now, Pilate marveled at Jesus because he remained quiet. And, I would suggest, and he stood for what he believed. And I would suggest to you, in dealing with this culture, dealing with this world system, dealing with family members or anybody else that you're dealing with that are outside the family of God that just don't believe this stuff, that you stand firm for what you believe. People will respect you more if you stand firm on what you believe than this waffly, wishy-washy type of Christianity. Stand firm for what is the truth. And I think you'll be more respected in the long run. Verse 15 through 18, Pilate's going to ignore the evidence. Just like most people in our culture ignore the evidence about who Jesus is. 15 through 18. Now at the feast, that's the Passover, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude all the people that are screaming, crucify him, one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Everybody knows Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, now this gathering is the chief priests and the elders. When they gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy, ill will, spite, jealousy. Pilate. Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, yet he ignores the evidence. The evidence. And it is very common, very common for humans to ignore the evidence and function on their feelings. Feelings. Pilate was a survivalist, a feelings guy. He worried about his position and how he was going to look to Rome. He was all concerned about himself. Pilate gives the rabid crowd a choice, Barabbas or Jesus. And the rabid crowd, instigated by the chief priests and elders, we'll see in the coming verses, and I would imagine Satan is in that background, stirring it all up. Remember this, whenever you see conflict between humans, whenever you see nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, people against people, husbands against wives, children against parents, and that sort of thing, always remember there's a demonic element behind that. How do I know that? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it tells us very precisely, we do not wrestle. Now, when you wrestle, it is different than, than boxing, where there's a distance and you try to close the distance and that sort of thing. It is Mono, it is close. It is close in contact. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of the sage. That's the demonic realm. The host of, wi of wickedness in heavenly places. The rabid crowd was being stirred up by the chief priests and Pharisees who were used by Satan in this, causing this mess for Jesus. 
Now, who is Barabbas? Well, Mark 15, 7 gives us more information. There was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. He was a rebel. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Barabbas was a murdering, trained killer who was going to be released instead of Jesus. The crowd wants blood. They smell blood. They're like sharks in the water. They smell the blood. They want the blood. And they want not Barabbas' blood, but they want Christ's blood. Think about this. This is like Jesus is going to be crucified very soon. Very soon. Later that day, he's going to be crucified. A few days earlier in the week on Palm Sunday, you have a crowd that addresses Jesus. The same crowd that a few days earlier on Palm Sunday was hailing Jesus as king. Now, you remember what they were saying? Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now, Jesus! Save us now, Jesus! And when Jesus did not do what they thought Messiah was supposed to do, they discarded Jesus. They discarded him. No more. We don't want you, Jesus. What they did not understand that I've mentioned so many times is that humanity needed a Savior before it could have a King. And He is our Savior. He's the Savior of the world. What did these people want? Then and now. Think about this. What the crowd wanted was the kingdom now. They wanted Jesus to rule right now. And when He didn't, they turned on him like a viper. Just like a viper. I want to take you down a little road here. Kingdom now theology is very popular today. It's called dominion theology. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation. It comes under very various headings and titles. And what they believe is this. The church will usher in the kingdom by taking over the seven mountains of society. We're going to make the world better and better and better for Jesus to come back to a world that is prepared for him. Folks, this is what they believe. Now, this is a picture of the seven mountain mandate that we're going to take over these areas, arts and entertainment and business, education, family, government, media, and religion. Now, I want to make a comment about this. I want to make a comment about this. and I want to give you my opinion on this. It's just my opinion. Okay. I believe this. It's admirable and a must, and a must that the church is involved in society, involved in these areas. Christians are called to do this, to impact society. Christians are not called to live isolated, to live in caves, to be monks, to be distant from the, from the culture. What did Jesus say that we are to do in the culture? You are to be salt, and you are to be light. In order for something to be salty, it had to be in contact with the soil. In order for us to impact these things, we must be in contact with these things. If you want to be light, you, your light has to displace the darkness. In other words, you have to be out there. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 14 through 16? He's talking to the disciples, and by extension, he's talking to each one of us today. You are the light of the world. You are the light. That's a, that's a huge undertaking. That's a huge calling that we have. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. You do not hide the light. You let the light come out. But you put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then Jesus says these words, let it resonate within you. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are to be in contact with the soil, with the earth, with the people that are out there. Not isolated in little enclaves. Our little safe enclave like here. No, we are to be people that go out into the world from here, prepared to engage the world. You're to be involved as God leads. But with that stated, listen to this statement. But will the church usher in the kingdom? Will the church make the world better and better for the return of Christ? And I can say a resounding N-O spells no. Well, let's do that again. Let's say it with a little fervor. N-O spells no. That's right. No. No. Today, many well-intended believers, and I believe they are well-intended, get caught up in this kingdom now theology. But the movement, they're ignoring the evidence that we see in Scripture. Now, I want to give you some evidence that comes from Scripture that makes it clear not a matter of interpretation or misinterpretation. This is very clear. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus said. Hear what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37. This is what it'll be like before I come back. This is what he said. But as the days of Noah were, also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, what were the days of Noah like? Well, there were eight righteous people left on the earth that got into the ark and we're saved. We're saved. Genesis 6-5 tells us exactly what the world was like. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, let that sink in, every intent of the thoughts of the heart was evil, was on evil continually. Take a hard stop here. Remember Romans chapter 1. Phase three of a, a nation or a person that God gives over to their sinful desires is the state of depravity, where you're constantly, everything is depraved. That is where I believe we are now in America. Phase three, we cannot kill 63 million and counting babies without some sort of repercussion. We cannot endorse what God calls evil homosexual marriage. We cannot extol transgenderism. These are all things that God speaks against in Scripture. Now, we are to help these folks. We are to love these folks. We are not to hate on these folks in any way, shape, or form. We are to ask them to come into the kingdom. We're sinners. They're just sinning and think they're okay. The cultures tell them they're okay. No, they're not. I know that I can't commit adultery. I know that I shouldn't be a glutton. Well, sometimes I am, but I shouldn't be a glutton. I know that sin is sin, and that's a sin. They think it's okay. The, the culture's telling them it's okay. That's wrong. That's a depraved culture. Hear Jesus in Luke 18.8. He makes this statement, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Look, when Jesus comes back, it's a rescue mission, folks. It's a rescue mission. Everybody's going to be fighting against Jesus coming back. More in just a second. Hear what Scripture says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. Deception, deception, deception. A key point will happen at the end of the age. 
For that day, that's the day of the Lord, that's the tribulation period, will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, the falling away is the apostasia. The apostasia, a departure from the faith and abandoning of solid biblical teaching. Now, there are people that try to make an argument for this being the rapture, and there's a lot of people making a good argument for that. I personally believe it's the falling away of the faith. A sign that we're closing in on the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, is that phony Christianity is going to be promoted and be accepted globally. And that is what do we see, particularly in the West. We see a, a, a universal abandoning of Scripture and embracing things that are not in Scripture. The supposed church, listen to this, are walking lockstep with the world, extolling the world's values. Now, we've been through the list. I've just mentioned it. Homosexual marriage, transgenderism, abortion, that sort of thing. These are egregious sins in the eyes of God. But being embraced by many in the so-called church today, saying it's okay, it's loving. It's just two people loving one another. God has set the parameters, folks. He makes up the rules, not humanity. See, humanity, it's fluid. With God, it's static. It's, it is what it is. You just don't make things up on the fly. Here's scripture about the Laodicean church, Revelation 13, excuse me, 3, 14 through 22. Now, I don't have time to read those verses, but that's the seventh church in, in, in Revelation. The seventh church is the final church. It's the church that will predominate at the end of the age. That was the church we see today. Now, watch what is said about this church. This church will dominate at the end of the age. This church will neither be hot nor cold. It made Jesus sick to his stomach, nauseous, the lukewarm, all-about-me church. Jesus said, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and this key word, naked. They are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. They think they're great. They're rich. They're wonderful. They have everything. It's all about them. But Jesus says, you are naked. You are not clothed. You don't know me. He's outside pounding to get into the church. Unfortunately, folks, our world will not get better and better, but will become worse and worse. The world is not being prepared for Jesus' return. Jesus is going to come in and rescue the remnant tribulation believers, taking them into millennial reign, and fight against Antichrist, the false prophet, and the earth dwellers who will be volitionally fighting against his return. Now, we cannot cover our eyes to the evidence. You see a world changing right before your eyes. It is not getting better and better. It is not. Jesus will return on a rescue mission. His second coming will put Antichrist and the false prophet down. His return is in judgment and in vengeance and in wrath. That's the second coming. No, the church will not make things better and better. The evidence is clear. Now, Pontius Pilate, verse 19, is going to get a warning from his wife. Now, believe me, if your wife warns you, you better have your ears perk up. He did not, verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat. Now, he's back in his sequestered area, sitting on the judgment seat, waiting for the chief priests and the Pharisees and the people to decide who do they want. 
Barabbas or Jesus. So he's taking a pause here. That's the picture. He's on the judgment seat. His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, that righteous man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate. Now look, at God is using Pilate's wife to warn Pilate, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do this thing, Pilate. Don't do it. And he uses dreams and visions. He uses these to get people's attention. It's not for entertainment when somebody has a dream or a vision. It's for them to do something positive for the kingdom. That's what it's for. An indecisive Pilate is hit with this information from his trusted wife, and he ignores it because the rabid crowd is influencing him more than his wife. It's all about self-preservation for Pilate. That's what's at stake. The lesson here is this. God always, always warns before he judges. Pilate has been warned. Take a stop. You have the word of God in your hands. You, as Calvary Chapel people, have been through a study of Daniel, and you've been through a study of Revelation. You have been warned about what is coming. Now you, as someone who warns and are a watchman, are to have the courage to speak up in the culture as it changes, speak the truth in love, in love, to people who don't know the truth. And to tell them, oh, this is what's coming. This is what you're seeing happening. Oh, by the way, wake up. This is, this is, this is a prelude to a one-world government. This is a prelude to a one-world religion. This is a prelude to one, the ten-nation confederation that's coming. We are to warn. We are to warn. The evidence was clear. Have nothing to do with this man. Warning. Do not, now listen to this, do not ignore the evidence about Jesus or about what you read in this scripture. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. He is your only hope. He is your only Savior. There aren't multiple ways to Jesus, and you better have the right Jesus. Not the one you're making up in your mind. Will you believe in Jesus or not? And if you say you believe in Him, you know what it means? You're going to live for Him. It's not just, I believe in you, Jesus, and I'm going to go about my business. I've got my card to get into heaven. I said the words in sixth grade, and I'm going to have nothing to do with you for the rest of my life. But, oh, I said the words at camp one time, and I'm okay. No, you're not. If you really believe in Him, at some point, in some way, there's a turning to Christ, and you live for Him. You will live for Him. People must deal with Jesus, folks. And the culture looks at Him in many different ways. C.S. Lewis on this overhead is going to say, say this perfectly. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Which one is he to you? In a setting like this, of course, he's Lord. He's kurios, king, master, ruler, owner. I, he owns me. I have been bought with a price. I don't own my life anymore. I owe my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the attitude of the believer. I belong to my master. And you know what? One of these days, this will happen. 
This is a fait complete. This is written in Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we are the bride of Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King. We do this willingly. We, be, we bow willingly before our Lord. He is our master. He is our ruler. He is our owner. We are a doulos. We are a slave of the master. My will consume with the will of the master. That is what we are to do. Be decisive. Be decisive. Give, in verse 20 through 22, give us Barabbas. What a pitiful decision. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes, they're stirring it up, that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. An indecisive Pilate caved to the crowd's demands and went along to get along. How many times in our culture do Christians go along to get along? We are not to do that. Don't be indecisive. Pilate sealed his eternal destiny by rejecting the only way, truth, and life that there is. Pilate's question, folks, is for all of humanity. What will, and put your name there, what will you do with Jesus who is called to Christ? Now listen to this. So many ignore Jesus. Pretend he's not there. Pretend he's not real. I don't want him really affecting my life. They, they, they're going to go along with the crowd. Bury your head in the sand. And I don't know how many people you've run into that you've spoken to, but this is a very common response. I'll take my chances. I'm a good person. I'll take my chances. Oh no, you are not good. Scripture is very clear. There's none good, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. Now, or, conversely, listen to this one. This is very common today. Many will embrace a make-believe Jesus. One you make up in your mind. The one that is there to fulfill every whim that you have. Every desire. A genie Jesus. A make-a-wish Jesus. And Jesus just hops to it and fulfills all of your dreams. All of your dreams. This is the American Jesus. We must, we must say yes to the real Jesus, the Savior of the world, your Lord, your Master, your King, your Owner, your Ruler, the one who died for you, the one who is your Waymaker, the one who is, as the song says, your Promise Keeper, the one who, as the song says, a light in the darkness. That is the Jesus that we follow. The Jesus that loves you so much that He died for you. The Jesus that calls you sons and daughters. He calls you the bride of Christ. And you know what else He says to you? You are my friends. You are my friends. He's putting, he's putting the person 
right close to him. You are my friends. And then he has this caveat added on. If you do whatever I've commanded of you. That's how you demonstrate that you're really a friend of Jesus. You know, jumping up and down saying, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. That's, that's one thing. But the real rubber, that when the rubber hits the road, it's, am I following the master? Am I obeying him or not? That's the question. That's the question. How will you seal your eternity? Is it yes, Jesus, or is it no, Jesus? Which one is it? Indecision will not let you off the hook, verse 23 through 26. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? That's a good thing that Pilate said that. But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. Now watch Pilate. He's going to be moved now. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, it's getting out of control, Pilate's concerned, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just, righteous person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, oh, they say something prophetic. His blood be on us and on our children. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them when he had scourged him. Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Indecision. Folks, the evidence is clear. Jesus was innocent of all charges, yet Pilate is afraid of the crowd. Don't be afraid of this world that you're living in. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in this world. He was afraid of Rome. What Rome might think. We might be afraid of what Somebody else might think of us. Driven by fear and indecision, he ignores the evidence and does something amazing. He washes his hands. Did that, is, did that free him from guilt? Absolutely not. Pilate did this, thought he was not going to be guilty. He was manipulated by the crowd, thought he could just wash his hands of it. He could not. Pilate was guilty of murder. Herod was guilty of murder. He went to King Herod. The chief priests and elders are guilty of murder. The Jewish people are guilty of murder. The Gentiles are guilty of murder. And guess who else is guilty of murder? Every one of us. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. We are all guilty. We all need a Savior. Ultimately, listen to this. Ultimately, it was God who sacrificed his only begotten son for each one of us. Listen to what it says in Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, who God anointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand, God, your purposes, God, determined to be done. God gave his only begotten Son, the giving God gave. You know what that tells me? John 3.16 just screams at me at this moment, just screams, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to whoever believes in Him. That word whoever is pas, P-A-S. Every and all who put their trust in Jesus. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. The Jewish people, listen to this, 
throughout history have been called the Christ killers, and they have been persecuted for that. They've been persecuted for that. Martin Luther had a bunch of works that he did. This is volume 47, and this is a quote out of volume 47 of Luther's works. At the beginning of his career, Martin Luther was apparently sympathetic to Jewish resistance to the Catholic Church. However, he expected the Jews to convert to his purified Christianity. When they did not, he turned violently against them. Now, Martin Luther was responsible, one of the ones responsible for the Reformation. He did a wonderful thing there. Salvation by grace through faith. But he disliked the Jewish people. At first, he loved them. They didn't convert. He turned on them. And he says this. These are a few quotes from that work. I shall, Luther, I shall give you my sincere advice. Number one, set fire to their synagogues, their schools, bury them, cover them with dirt. Number two, I advise that their houses be raised and destroyed. Number three, I advise that all their prayer books be burned and taken from them. Number four, I advise that their rabbis be forbidden to teach under the pain of loss of life or limb. Number five, I advise that safe conducts and highways be abolished for the Jews. And then number six, take their treasures and gold from them. They don't need that. Now, this guy goes on to say this. Martin Luther and Adolf Hitler were inseparably linked. You have to be very careful of anti-Semitism, folks, with their extreme anti-Semitism and nationalism. It is impossible to assume that Luther did not have any influence on Hitler and his views. For it cannot be mere coincidence that Hitler's anti-Jewish sentiment of the 1930s and 40s mirrors that of Luther's anti-Semitism of the 1500s. Now, what happened with Hitler? One-third of the Jews in the world were killed, exterminated. What will happen with Antichrist? Two-thirds of the Jews in the world will be exterminated, according to Zechariah 13, 8, and 9. Today, now the reason I'm doing this is because today, most of the mainline church has bought into something called replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel, and all the promises that went to Israel now go to the church. God is done with the nation of Israel. This has set the stage for more anti-Semitism in our world today. The support you see for Hezbollah, for Hamas, on college campuses. There are liberal professors that are anti-Semitics that are promoting this. The hatred of the Jewish people. Replacement theology is rooted in an errant view of Scripture ignoring the unconditional covenants that God has made with the nation of Israel. An unconditional covenant is God says, I'm going to do this whether you obey or not. Unconditional. I am going to fulfill this. I'm going to fulfill this. Now, I want you to hear the prophet Jeremiah, that these things are going to happen. If these things happen, then the Jewish nation will not exist anymore. Watch what it says. Thus says the Lord who gave the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, creation, departs before me, declares the Lord, then 
the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me. So the creation is still there. Okay, the nation is still there. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, they cannot. And the foundations of the earth be searched below, they cannot. Then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done. He will not, declares the Lord. Folks, replacement theology is wrong, and it's resulted in Hitler's massacre in World War II, and it's resulting in a genuine anti-Semitic push that is going on in our world today, culminating with the Antichrist wanting to eliminate every Jew on the face of the earth. Luther was wrong. Hitler was wrong. The majority of mainline Christianity is wrong on this issue. It's wrong on this issue. Now, in closing, I want you to think about a few things here. Number one, indecision will not let you off the hook. Twisting history will not let you off the hook. Placing your trust in some other non-biblical belief because you're really sincere and serious will not let you off the hook. Your sincerity will not let you off the hook because many people are sincere but sincerely wrong. God holds every person responsible for him. The heavens declare the glory of God in Psalm 19.1. Romans chapter 1, 18-23, which we do not have time to read, talks about the creation bearing witness to God. Bearing witness to God. God has written His law on the hearts of every single human being on this planet that everyone knows what is right and what is wrong. And He's given you a conscience to help you discern right and wrong. And God has put eternity in the hearts of men. People know that there's something more than this. When you start to think about your life, you, something just happens inside of you. We say, something's, something's greater than this. There's something that's keeping this whole thing together. Being a law keeper will not save you. The law can only condemn you. Being a really good person will not save you. Being really sincere will not save you. Taking your chances can only condemn you. Nothing that a human does, nothing a human does can save them from the wrath of God except believing and receiving the free gift of salvation that Jesus died for us for. Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Ninety-eight times in the book of John, believing is the number one criteria for salvation. That word believe, as you know, as I've shared many times, is the word pistio. And it means commit to, put your trust in, declare your loyalty to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Embedded in that word is the word repentance. Metanoia. Oh, let's stop right there. Would everybody just say metanoia with me? One, two, three. Metanoia. Place it in our minds. That is repentance. That is a change of mind who Jesus is. He is no longer just a historical figure. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. 
He is my master, my redeemer. I owe him everything. My loyalty to him. I owe him everything. And when you do that, you will have a changed king. Goes from Satan to Jesus. You have a changed destiny, hell to heaven. You have a changed purpose. I represent the Lord Jesus Christ now. I don't live for myself. You have a changed worldview. I view this world through a biblical worldview, not through a humanistic worldview or a self-worldview. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not misunderstand me, folks. Do not misunderstand. God, God has a purpose, and that purpose is for us to have a relationship with Him. And He is the one that is always, always the initiator in that relationship. He is the one that softens hearts. He is the one that takes blinders off. He is the one that allows you to believe. Remember in John 6, 44, it says this, The Father draws us to God. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment in John 16:8. Jesus said, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The whole Godhead is involved in your salvation, working for you to come, come, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And when God knocks on your heart, that is the time to respond. That's the only time you can respond when He is the one that initiates. The evidence tells us, folks, it's all true. This is decision time. What will you do with Jesus the Christ? That's the question. Do not be like Pilate and be indecisive and ignore the evidence. Remember, Scripture tells us, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Folks, I urge you, no tippy-toe Christianity. No half-in Christianity. You let everyone know in your family, start there, and then in your friend group, extend to there, in your workplace, on your team, wherever you contact, let people know that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a, a hidden, stealthy Christian, particularly in the West. You might have to do that in North Korea, but you don't have to do it here. The ABCs of salvation, you can put this on your refrigerator. Number one, admit you are a sinner for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Believe on Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Acts 16, 39. And then confess your sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Do not be indecisive. Do not ignore the evidence. Believe in Jesus today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior right now, in your seat, are you listening on Facebook or YouTube, are you listening to this? You say, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I place my trust in you. Salvation is easy, folks. God paid it all. Jesus paid the price. All we're doing is receiving the gift. And once you receive the gift, be all in. Serve the Master. Serve the Master. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Lord, right now I pray that if someone heard this word today and they are not saved, that they'll come into the family of God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be saved.
I pray for people that come from the kingdom of darkness and be placed in the kingdom of light through your power, Holy Spirit. Work in the hearts and the minds of people. In Jesus' name, amen.